get ready to have some fun and and to learn. And when you leave here, you're going to have a new skill that you're going to be able to put to use when you see patients next. So what type of guarantee is that, right? It's good stuff. So let's ask the Lord if he would join us. So, Father, we love you. We welcome you here. We know you're here because there's two or more of us. And we ask you through your Holy Spirit to teach us, to equip us, to envision us in how we may take this information and, and apply it to where you've called us. How we may begin to think, Father, how can we join you in your work and invite you to join us in ours in such a way that people may see our good works and glorify you in heaven, Father, for what you do in us and through us. And so for what you're going to accomplish, I thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So since we're CME, I have no disclosures. Uh, I'm not going to use any uh, off-label uses or brand names or I have no financial. Learning objectives are in your handout. And you say, handout? How do I get a handout? I am so glad you asked because there's several ways. Number one, you can go to the GMHC website and then look up this particular session. And you double-click on it and you scroll to the bottom of the page. And there, boom, is a little button that you can use for the handout. And if that's too complex, I did a tiny URL for you. So it's tinyurl.com slash GMHC16. Get the code? GMHC2016 dash spiritual assessment, and you can get the handout that way, or just email me, Walt Laramore, all one word, at mac.com, and I'll be delighted to send it to you. I'm going to tell you about a couple of free resources that I have uh, for you. As a medical journalist, I have this little website called drwalt.com, but there's two things you may be interested in. Both are free. One is a uh, health blog that Oh, publishes two, three times a week. If you were to go to drwalt.com and click on that health blog, then it would get you to the little blog site. And these are the three blogs from this week. Uh, every Friday I'm running a, a, a serialized version of a book on my first mission experience in a little town called Bryson City, North Carolina. And then, uh, so Bryson City Tales, a chapter that's publishing each week. And then Wednesday, usually there's questions people send me. And so the Wednesday question was a Christian health professional asking about transgender. And what can I say about that from a Christian perspective? And then the Monday memos, usually something ethical, moral, uh, spiritual. And this particular one was a letter from a lady who had lost a child in, in utero. And so you're welcome to those. If you sign up for it, I'll send you a little email once a week, every day that, that it's published. And if it's something you like, boom, you can click on it. And if it's something you don't like, you just erase it. The other thing that you may be interested in is a little devotional called Morning Glory, Evening Grace. So if you click on the uh, devotional tab, up will come Morning Glory, Evening Grace. It's a twice-a-day devotional, and I think it's kind of unique among the devotionals that are available because it doesn't tell you what a person thinks. It just tells you what God thinks. So as a result of about almost 20 years of quiet times of asking God what he thinks about various topics and then just stringing together into a short pearl necklace his word on a variety of topics. So uh, the two today were those who know your name, trust in you, and be still and know that I am God. And so you get that devotional twice a day. If you want it, you click on it. And when you click on it, it's a little devotional comes up. It's just God's word. You're welcome to sign up for both. They're free and available to you.
I also want to give a shout out to the Christian Medical and Dental Associations who uh, uh, formalized, if you would, a series of teachings on how do you bring your faith to work with you. How do you provide whole person spiritual care uh, when it comes to wherever God has called you in health care. And that's now available in a new uh, course called Grace Prescriptions. And uh, my good friend Bill Pill, who's a theologian, and I co-wrote that course. And it's a small group course. You don't have to do anything but turn on the video and, and get together with others and begin to explore some of these principles. And I also want to tell you about two academic articles that have been published on spiritual history in the last year. Uh, both of them are spiritual assessment and clinical care. The first one is the basics. And we'll skim through that kind of quickly. And then a new spiritual assessment that I've been using about almost five years now, but published last year called The Lord's Lap. And we're going to get into that a little bit today. They're also posted on the GMHC website. Go to this session and down to the bottom you can click on those handouts. Or you can go to cmda.org slash spiritual assessment. Those are open access articles. You can copy them off. You can... Uh, hand them out. You can plagiarize the information and make presentations. No problem. So academically, what's the purpose of a spiritual assessment? What's the purpose of a spiritual history? And in my way of thinking, in my practice, a spiritual assessment is used as part of my social history. I'm asking about alcohol and tobacco and firearms and seatbelts and what have you. And the spiritual history fits to me most naturally there. It's a way to find out the patient's religious background, if any, the role that religious or spiritual beliefs play in that patient's uh, life, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, dealing with illnesses, if any, or causing distress about illness. Any beliefs that may conflict with uh, care. The typical example is if you're in a surgical specialty, would you not want to know your patient was a Jehovah's Witness? Duh. Yeah. Why? Because there's belief constructs with the Jehovah's Witness that can conflict with some of the procedures that we do. Fourthly, what's the patient's level of participation and how meaningful is their religious community to them? And do they have any particular spiritual needs that might be present? Summed up quickly, the literature over the last 15 years could be done this way in a I said it this way in a systematic review that I published in 2002. The current evidence would encourage physicians, healthcare providers, and systems to learn to assess their patients' spiritual health and to provide indicated and desired spiritual intervention. So real quickly, what are the evidence-based reasons for providing a spiritual assessment with patients we see? And there's about a dozen of them that I've published, but let me just... Uh, uh, um, Clarify that down to five. Patients desire this. Patients benefit when we explore spirituality with them. It enhances the doctor-patient relationship. And I use doctor there because that's just what the literature shows. Any of you who are non-physician healthcare providers, my belief is that if you studied it, you'd find the same exact thing. I think we could say that this enhances the healthcare professional patient relationship. But I put doctor because that's just what the literature says. It's now become a standard of quality patient care, and most dramatically, and this is the big practice changer for me, it identifies religious struggle. And I'm going to go through specifically how you can do that. So let me just skim across the reasons for doing it, and then we're going to dive into how to, and we're going to actually practice. You get to be patients, and you stay dressed for this part. 
So patient desire, in general, the public appears to view and value spirituality as a central life factor, especially when they get sick. And it could be just a dental abscess or acne. But it could be pregnancy. Not that that's a sickness. I'm not saying that. But when people encounter the health professions, they begin thinking differently about their, their mortality, their eternity. The more severe the illness, the more that they tend to think about that. And patients desire healthcare professionals to acquire about beliefs that are important to them. They're not particularly interested in you pushing your beliefs upon them, but they're very interested in you inquiring about their beliefs. Everybody, no, but most people, yes. So now the internal medicine literature says this, the ability to identify and address patient spiritual needs has become an important clinical competency. This is no longer optional. This is clinical competency, quality patient care for all patients. Studies have shown that up to 90% of patients want physicians to address their spiritual needs. Many patients want their spiritual needs addressed by their physician directly or by referral to a pastoral professional. So there's, in general, patient desire. But there's also patient benefit. I'm just going to give you one statement from the literature. It's a pretty nice piece of literature because it's the second edition of the Oxford University Handbook on Religion and Health, about a four-inch thick book that has over 6,000 citations. But when it comes to this, this is what their kind of conclusion paragraph Assessing and addressing patients' religious, spiritual uh, needs is associated with greater satisfaction with care. And increasingly, we're measured by our patients' satisfaction with our care. Just asking a few simple questions booms that up. Crazy. It's associated with better quality of life measures. Tease that one out for me. Less depression, fewer unnecessary health services, particularly at end of life, a couple caveats on that data, and with better overall functioning. There's patient benefit to our inquiring about their spiritual and religious beliefs. I'll give you one reason for that in a minute. It enhances the doctor-patient relationships. Assessing patient spirituality, a recent review said, into the healthcare encounter can build trust and rapport, broadening the physician-patient relationship, and increasing its effectiveness. Fourthly, it's now a standard in patient care. The Joint Commission, which is the group that certifies healthcare institutions, you cannot receive Medicare or Medicaid funding. In some states, you can't receive state funding for the services you provide unless you're Joint Commission certified. And they now require a spiritual assessment. It's a Category A requirement for Joint Commission accreditation. And they say a spiritual assessment should, at the minimum, determine the patient's denomination, beliefs, and what spiritual practices are important to the patient. Why in the world do they care? Quasi-governmental group. They say this information would assist in determining the impact of spirituality, if any, on on the care services being provided and will identify if any further assessment is needed. Harold Koenig, who's a a good friend, has a a psychiatrist at Duke, 
University, perhaps the most published person on earth in the area of the connection of religion, spiritual health, and physical, emotional health. When it comes to spiritual assessment, says this, what would I recommend in terms of addressing spiritual issues in clinical care? First and foremost, health professionals should take a brief spiritual history. You cannot know what intervention is indicated until you know where the patient is in their spiritual journey. It's part of making a diagnosis so that you can make appropriate recommendations for appropriate interventions. The original course before Grace Prescriptions was called the Saline Solution. And the reason was because our precept was that you need to be salt, but in the right concentration. You don't want to be tasteless salt, because Jesus says that's thrown out, nor do you want to be hypertonic, because salt is a great seasoning. It's a terrible fertilizer. And those of you that work in the ER, would you give 3% saline to everyone that came in? Like, oh. Sometimes you don't give any saline. Sometimes it's D5W, sugar water. Sometimes it's third normal or half normal or normal. We cater our intervention based upon the patient's needs. And a spiritual history helps you find that. This should be done, Koenig says, for all new patients on their first evaluation. The guy's got a chainsaw wound to the arm and he's bleeding out. Okay, maybe not that evaluation. But for in general, all new patients, first evaluation, especially with serious or chronic illnesses, and whenever a patient's admitted to an institution, hospital, nursing home, home health agency, or other inpatient setting. It is the healthcare professional, not the chaplain, not the ward clerk, not the admitting clerk, but it's the healthcare professional who's responsible for doing, he says this two-minute screen, I'm going to show you how to do it in less time than that. And simply recording the patient's religious denomination and whether they want to see a chaplain or not, which is what's done in many institutions, is not taking a spiritual history. The quality of patient care. Fifthly, identifies religious struggle. And if this one doesn't wake you up, nothing's going to. This is some of the most, to me, stunning information that I've come across on the impact of religiousness or spirituality and health. And it generated in a study that was published out of Duke University. They did a prospective study of about 2,500 patients that were admitted to med surge or the psychiatric unit. And they looked for patients who believed one of several things. And out of that, they distilled a group of about 596 patients who, who uh, had a religious struggle issue. And they found that patients who, one, felt alienated or unloved by God, two, abandoned by God, or three, punished by God or the devil, had a 16 to 28% increased risk in dying during the two years after hospital discharge. Do you get that? 16 to 28% increased risk of dying. You think if there was a factor that would give up to one-third risk of death, you might want to know about it? You think your patient might want to know about it? And, and to give you a clue of where we're going, so patients who felt unloved, notice I capitalized the L and underlined it and made it red, abandoned by God are punished, L-A-P. Remember that little acrostic. Fast forward from 1999 to 
2009, Fitchett and his group say, a growing body of research documents the harmful effects, both morbidity and mortality, of religious and spiritual struggle among patients with a wide variety of diagnoses. They say we need to be aware of the signs of religious struggle. This, uh, which is not in uh, the articles that I published because it's newer data, this study was published with uh, adults with a whole variety of conditions, TBIs, spinal cord injuries, strokes, cancer, primary care diagnoses such as hypertension, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and arthritis, who showed that those who have any negative degree of spiritual belief, like feeling abandoned or punished, see the little lap factors there? has significantly worse bodily pain, physical health, mental health, and a lower level of forgiveness, either self-forgiveness or forgiveness with others. It was associated with less cynicism, less anger, and less bitterness. Or put the other way, spiritual struggle was associated with lack of forgiveness, cynicism, anger, and bitterness, all of which are negative to a patient's both physical and emotional health. So it was concluded that any, 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 degree of negative spiritual belief, regardless of positive belief. So you take your pastor or your discipleship leader or your accountability partner or the most spiritual person you know, and if when that person is ill they have any negative spiritual beliefs, it can overcome those positive effects of spirituality and religion and is associated with worse health outcomes. And the most recent is a meta-analysis of 44,000 patients who have been studied looking for, for, uh, <clears throat> for spiritual struggle. And they showed that patients with high levels of religious or spiritual distress were associated with poor perceptions of health. They, they, they rate themselves, however it's rated, as having worse health. But they also have poor outcomes. So they concluded medical care providers need to be attuned these are their, their words, to the dark side of religion in patients that might include struggling on an existential level or feeling disconnectedness with God. They say doctors <clears throat> are better able <coughs> excuse me, to provide patients with supportive care resources when they ass- assess them early, early, early for spiritual distress. <clears throat> and you will say, Wall, I mean, come on, I got a lot to do. I don't know about you there in Colorado, but we actually work for a living. We got to see a lot of patients real hard, and we got this EMR, and yada, yada, yada. And by the way, we've got great chaplains, you know, and spirituality nurses, and that's kind of their job, right? Not when it comes to this area. <clears throat> this is how Canaan wrote about it in an editorial in JAMA. He said, such patients, those with spiritual distress, may, without their doctor's encouragement, refuse to speak with clergy because they're angry at God and have cut themselves off from this source of support. So imagine a patient who's struggling spiritually, who feels that because of their illness that they're unloved by God or they've been abandoned by God or they're being punished by God or the devil. And in comes somebody with a cleric robe that says, by their presence, oh, I'm here representing the person you think doesn't love you or who has abandoned you or who's punishing you, how can I help you? And they go, I'm, I'm on the bedpan. You can leave. I mean, it just it doesn't work. Does it make sense? This is something that's laid at our lap because our patients give us trust often before we've even earned it or deserved it. 
And this is an area that we can open up as healthcare professionals that no one else can, at least with our patients' safety. So Fitchett says, where patients' response indicate possible religious struggle, does this mean you take care of it? No. No. Unless you're experienced and trained in this level of counseling, no. But it's a time for you to bring in someone, to make that referral, to make that consultation with a pastoral professional or a chaplain, a, a Christian counselor or someone who can assist you. And you code it. Because in ICD-10, well, in ICD-9 too, there was a code for spiritual struggle, for spiritual problems. And the ICD-10 code is Z as in zebra, 65.8. So it comes up as a codable diagnosis. Now, of all of the uh, questions that can be asked to discern religious struggle, that 16 to 28% increase in mortality was centered around four particular questions. And in my simple country boy way, I like little acrostics, and so I've put them into an acrostic that I call the lap questions. And the L is about loved by God, the A is abandoned by God, the P is punished by God or by the devil. Let me just quickly skip across some data to show you the question that was used in the original Parchment study was, Say in the cancer ward, does this, and these are for people who proclaim religion or spirituality, and I'm going to show you how to discern that in a second. But for, not for the religious, but for the religious or for the spiritual, does this cancer, does this problem, does this issue you're wrestling with make you believe that God doesn't love you, or does it make you question God's love for you? If they said yes to that, that predicted a 22% increased mortality in the two years post-discharge. 22%. The A is abandoned by God. Does this illness, sickness make you wonder whether God has abandoned you? Or I've added to that now, does it make you wonder whether God, uh, you know, you ask God to heal you and he did not? Uh, I teach at the end is image residency in Tulsa, which is an area with a high preponderance of charismatic theology and charismatic churches. And it's not unusual there, to not unusual at all, to encounter patients who have been taught that if they prayed a certain way, God would heal them. Not might, would heal them. And if God does not, you either did not pray the right way, or you did not have enough faith, or you have unconfessed sin in your life. And irrespective, it's your fault. And irrespective, some of those faith communities will shun you. And in, boom, and they walk into our ward, in our hospital. So abandoned by God predicts a 28% increased risk. That's the highest risk for, for uh, mortality and morbidity. And then the P is punished by God for lack of devotion, for past sins or wrongdoing. I was rounding with the residents a couple weeks ago. We had an oil worker who came in from Oklahoma. He had bilateral pleural effusions, 47-year-old guy, and uh, tapped the effusions. They rebuilt and ended up having chest tubes on both sides, and then diagnostically turned out he had a, had a lung cancer. But when we're doing the spiritual history with him, and so I'm teaching the residents how to do the spiritual history, so the woman that was the, the female intern asked him, does this, we knew this guy was religious, and I'm going to show you how in a sec. I said, does this cancer that you have make you feel God doesn't love you? He says, no, I know God loves me. I've known that since I was a little boy. Does it make you feel that God has abandoned you? He said, no, I, God's with me at all times. Have you asked for healing? And, and God said, no. And he said, well, you know, I've asked, but I think God's saying wait. Pretty healthy answer. And so then the intern skipped the P question. 
And so after a few minutes, we went back. And I said, why did you skip the P? And she said, well, he's, he's, this guy's obviously got it together. I said, but you don't know if you don't ask. So she asked him, does this make you feel punished by God? And he said, absolutely. Absolutely. And she said, why? And he said, because I have da 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 He listed off a series of sins that curl your toenails. And he was convinced that God was punishing him for this. 16% increased risk of morbidity if you think God is punishing. How about the devil? That's even worse. It's 19% increased risk of morbidity. So with that very quick and cursory skipping through the literature, how can you actually apply this information? Because if you're like me, I'm more interested in how can I use it than where did you get it from. As long as it's semi-valid, how can I use it and make it simple? Because I don't have all day to do these type of things. So what are some assessments you can, you can consider? There's over 300 of them published in the medical literature. And they range from three to 300 questions. Anybody got time to add 300 questions to your social history? No, of course you don't have to. So let me just show you a couple of simple ones. And then I want to show you how to dissect out religious struggle. So the open invite uh, spiritual history was... Uh, uh, introduced into the medical literature and the family physician literature in 2012. And what they say, these authors say, is open up the topic as part of your social history. It's very easy to do. Can I ask about your faith background? Do you have a spiritual or, or faith preference as a way that you can get into it? Now, this was standard uh, with our residents to ask it. And then one day we were rounding with a uh, with uh, one of our faculty members who's a behavioral specialist. And he said, it's just really wise, he said, why do you ask permission to ask about faith? And we said, well, you know, kind of strange questions. And he said, well, two things. First of all, you guys ask lots of strange questions. So that doesn't surprise us as patients. But secondly, if this is actually a standard of care, you wouldn't say, can I ask you about your alcohol preferences? May I ask about your tobacco preferences? No, you should say, do you smoke? You know, do you drink? But nevertheless, as you begin the process of adding a spiritual history to your black bag of caring for patients, this is a safe way in your social say, Hey, do you mind if I ask you about your faith preferences? And then have a mnemonic. Have a little way that you can quickly remember to ask the questions until they become kind of second nature for you. And so the one that, that, that I published is called the God Questions, three simple questions that you can include in your spiritual history. The G stands for God, the O stands for others, and the D stands for do. And I'm not suggesting that you use these particular questions. I'm I, I'm suggesting you find some questions that work for you, that fit your temperament and your practice and your patience. But may I ask about your faith background? Is God, spirituality, faith, religion, prayer something that's important to you or not? Do you use tobacco products or not? Do you use alcohol products or not? Do you use your seatbelt or not? We're just exploring for information as part of our history. The O is others. You know, are you now or have you ever in the past been part of a religious or a spiritual community? If so, how often? That guy the other day said, oh, yeah, he said, I'm very religious, very, very religious. He says, I'm there all the time. And I said, well, how often? He says, Easter and Christmas. <laughs> well, maybe not all the time, but uh, and how important is this to you or was it to you? 
So with the G and O questions, you get an idea of both their personal religiousness or spirituality and their corporate religiousness or spirituality. And based upon that, the D is what can I, you know, what can I do? What can I offer? Is there some way I can help you incorporate your faith into your care? Would you like to see a chaplain or a pastoral professional? Do you need any religious materials? Do you need me to call your pastoral professional? Because the healthcare institutions under HIPAA can no longer do that. They used to. Those of you that are kind of my vintage remember when the hospital would just call. They don't do that. Uh, Anymore. Is it okay if I pray with you or, or refer your name to a group of people that pray? Whatever the do's might be. In the Sagil article, they say this. Is there a way in which you would like me to account for your spirituality and your care? Is there a way we can provide spiritual support here while you're with us? Are there resources in your faith community that you would like me to mobilize? Not suggesting you use all of them, but just suggesting you think through what could you use or what... Uh, it would be available. And it's a great questionnaire, just like the other 300 that have been uh, that have been published and internally and externally validated. But there's a problem with them. What's the problem with a God questionnaire? You know anything about religious struggle? Nada, nothing. And that was the realization that I came to just a few years ago. That as I delved into the religious struggle data, I realized. I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't asking. John Hartman, with whom I practiced for 16 years in Kissimmee, Florida, we started doing spiritual histories in 1985 and did them until I joined Focus on the Family in 2001. And I called John and said, John, in all the years we did spiritual histories, do you ever remember anybody expressing any of these religious struggles? He said, not one. Me neither. Me neither. And the literature is showing that between 7 and 43% of our patients struggle with religious struggle. It's not insignificant. They never told me because I didn't ask, you know. Barbara and I go to marriage counseling once a year. We go to get a preventative checkup. And so last year we, we met with a Christian psychologist, and he asked her a question, and I knew what the answer was. I knew how she was going to answer, and she, like, answered the opposite. And it was something I could have so easily fixed if I would just known. And, and I looked at her, and she said, what? And I said, why didn't you tell me? And she said, you didn't ask. And I think that's what my religious struggle patients would say. Why didn't you tell me? Well, you didn't ask. And so the new spiritual tool that I've been using now for several years and then published last year is called the Lord's Lap. And forgive me because I'll add three questions to, to your work, but I think it's potentially worth it when you talk about something that has a potential 28% mortality, right? So... Here's how it goes. So the Lord's lap begins with the Lord questions. The L is Lord. The O is others. The D is do. Where do you think that came from? That's just the God questions. But there's a new one added. It's the R, and I'm going to show you how to do that. So the L, the same as the G questions, may I ask about your spiritual background. Is God, faith, religion, spirituality something that's important to to you or not? Uh, so the O is the same others questions of the God questions. Are you now or have you ever been part of a religious or spiritual community? If so, how important has that been to you? How helpful has that been to you? And you ask someone, do you use tobacco products? And they say yes. And say, what do you use? I smoke cigarettes. And how much and how often? You know, 14 packs a day for 40 years. 
Aunt Ethel smoked till she was 120, and I ain't stopped. You know, so if someone gives you a yes, well, you may want to explore that a little bit uh, to, to find out what's going on. So the L and the O are the same as the God questions, but then there's the R part. And this is where you can dissect out religious struggle, and it's what we're going to practice with each other in just <clears throat> a couple minutes. So after completing the L and O questions, you'll have a pretty good idea whether religion or spirituality is something that's important to them now or has been in the past. Now, this is not dissecting out whether they're Christian or not. This is whether they're Hindu or Buddhist or whatever their religious or spiritual background may be. Are they religious or are they spiritual? Or were they in the past? Did they grow up in a particular spiritual community? And if so... Those are the patients that deserve and need the religious struggle questions. So if they're religious, look for religious struggle. And I like to think of it this way. It's just my little simple way to think is, are you in the Lord's lap? Are you in the Lord's lap? And that just reminds me about the lap questions. So when someone is religious or spiritual, does this particular problem, does this issue cause you to question God's love for you? If they're Muslim, does it cause you to question Allah's love for you? We can speak in their language. The O part is, I mean, the A part is abandoned. Does this illness, this problem make you think that God has abandoned you? Or, not, or uh, you've asked for healing and he said no. The P is you believe God or a uh, or a higher power is punishing you? Do you believe the devil or an evil power is, uh, is punishing you? And interestingly enough, the A is the most common positive religious struggle for Buddhist and Hindu patients. That's anecdotal, not literature. That's just in, in my personal. And the P is most common with the Muslim patients, feeling punished by, by Allah or by Allah. So if any of those are positive, they're wrestling with religious struggle. They deserve a consult, a referral. It doesn't have to be that minute. It doesn't have to be that day. But it is something you can enter onto the problem list and then deal with, depending on what the other priorities are. If all of them are negative, move on. Move on. Now, it doesn't mean they don't have religious struggle, because they may have lied to you, especially if it's the first patient. They may... They may not have felt comfortable disclosing that to you. And so these are questions you can revisit. Like the patient, I, I mean, doing some occupational health work. I was with a guy the other day, his third visit, and he said he didn't smoke, he didn't smoke, but he's got stained finger nails and teeth, and he just reeks. I said, you know, for three times now, you've told our MAs that you don't smoke, but I'm kind of sensing, he says, it's that woman I live with. I said, but do you hold her cigarettes? He goes, Busted. <laughs> What if they're not religious? What if that's just not part of who they, they are? So I had a big old truck driver came in and said, it's God, faith, prayers, something's important to you not? And he said, hell no. <laughs> Interesting. There's a story there. Are you now, have you ever been part of a faith, spiritual, religious community? And he did expletive no. So probably not a guy to explore religious struggle with. You know? But here's the point where the R becomes relationship. Where you can, at this point, consider inserting that, well, I'm in the Lord's lap, even if you're not. So, a brief faith flag or a brief faith story can fit here. Let me show you two that I use more commonly, the faith flag. I'll say, hey, the reason I ask 
these questions is because very often when I see patients who are wrestling with illness, I find they begin to think about eternal things. They begin to think about spiritual things. If you find yourself having those thoughts, I want you to know we're open to talking to you about them. And I'll probably ask you about that in the future. So we sort of open the door, if you would. And the faith story will say, look, even though I know faith, religion is not important to you at all, I want you to know that it is for me. The way I say it is this. The most important relationship in my life is my personal relationship with God. And because of that, I talk to him every morning. We call it prayer in our particular religion. But each morning I pray for my patients, for wisdom in caring for them. Would that be okay? Would that be okay to pray? And the D is the same as the God questions. What can I do for you? Now, for those of you that like graphics, here's a graphical representation. So during your routine social history, you begin with the Lord questions. The L, you know, is God, faith, prayer, something that's important to you. What source of hope do you have? Uh, do you have a religious, spiritual preference? The O is others. Are you now? Are you ever met with a faith community, religious community? If so, how often? If they answer to yes to one or both, boom. That's positive for religion or our spirituality. And if they answer no to both, then it's negative to that. So for the patient that is religious or has been religious, then those are the patients who are at risk for religious struggle, right? And so they're the ones that you can ask the lab questions to. One of them, two of them, or three of them are positive. It's a referral. If all are negative, you just move on. Same as your alcohol and tobacco questions. For all negative, you just move on. And for the ones that are not religious, a chance to share a brief faith flag or a faith story before you move on with do. So, real quick overview of it, but now I'm going to take a few minutes to practice. So I want you to look around the table where you're at and, and you pick one person. So if you've got tables where there's five, that means one of you is going to have to find someone else. So everybody pair up. I want you to be in groups of two. So everybody eyeball, identify somebody. Okay, here's your, here's your assignment. Here's your assignment. I want you to pretend you're doing a social history and just start with the Lord questions. And those of you who are playing patient... Remember that you're going to be the doctor in a minute, so you'd be nice. <laughs> so I'm going to give you about three minutes to do a spiritual history. You ready? Go. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, that's it. Your patient just expired. How many of you discovered religious struggle? Anybody? Do you find patients with or no? Some? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now we're going to switch. Those of you that were the mean patients, now you get to have a mean patient. So switch. You've got three minutes. Go. 
All righty. Good job. The second patient expired. <laughs> All right, we're going to close our time. I just have a couple of final comments. I want to give you a word of caution. Don't ignore, but don't be pushy when it comes to spiritual history. Professional problems, Post said, can occur when well-meaning physicians faith push a patient opposed to discussing religion. But rather than ignoring faith completely, which is what most of us do, and 94% of Americans say no health professional in their life has asked them about their spirituality, ever. Rather than ignoring it completely with all patients, most of whom want to discuss it, physicians might ask a question to discern who would like to pursue it, who would not. Your spiritual history does that. And it allows you to open a door that sometimes they kick down. But they know it's open. And they know it's safe for them. So to restate what I said earlier, the current evidence would encourage physicians, healthcare providers, and systems to learn to assess their patient's spiritual health and to provide indicated and desired spiritual intervention. Assessing and integrating patient spirituality into the healthcare encounter can build trust. It can build rapport. It can broaden the healthcare professional patient relationship and increase its effectiveness. A reminder for a copy of the slides, you can go to the session site or you can go to tinyurl.com slash gmhc16 spiritual assessment or email me at waltlaramore at mac.com. I'll be delighted to send you a copy of the slides or of the articles. Our time's up. So I'm going to pass your questions and comments, but I will be up front. But let me just pray a blessing on you guys. I could see laughter and fun, but it's scary sometimes to do this with with patients. And so as you move into that arena, Father God, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you. That they who desire to bring you to work with them will. And cracked pots though they are. May your Holy Spirit exude through them, shine through them, and speak through them in such a way, in such a way that you, Father, will attract your own, call your own, bring your own to yourself, even through those of us that are weak. So give us the courage to step out in faith and to watch you work as we bring you to work. We ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you.